Well, good morning, friends. It's an exciting day today, a celebration of the fact that we get to see five of our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, declaring their faith and what God has done in their life. Now, um, especially a warm welcome to you. If you're here in church for the first time, and you might not have been in church before, you might not call yourself a Christian, but you're here to celebrate the baptism of your friend or family member, a warm welcome to you. It's great that you can come join us, but I'm sure you're uh, wondering a little bit about this whole baptism thing. What's, what's going on with baptism? What, what is it, this weird thing that Christians do when they dunk someone into a pool of water? What is this whole thing all about? What's going on? Well, um, let me tell you, even for Christians, I think there's a little, little bit of misunderstanding about baptism. Um, there's things that we think about baptism. For example, that um, baptism is a way to activate some higher level of spiritual life that um, you, know, you level up once you get baptized, your next level Christian, you know, once you come out of that water. That's, that's not what the Bible's saying. Um, baptism, some people think baptism is a way that you actually get saved. That once you're, once you're baptized, it's guaranteed. You know, that's, that's the thing that gets you to heaven. That's why people um, sometimes, you know, they'll rush to get their babies baptized because they just want that to make sure it's done. That's not the picture the Bible gives either about baptism. There's a lot of misconceptions. And we're going to look at this passage today to get a picture of what baptism actually is about. What is it actually symbolizing? What's it actually uh, showing? Because baptism is simply this. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. All right? So baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. The question is, what is that reality? Well, let's have a look at that passage that we were, uh, CC read for us just then. And we're going to Look at three points about the real deal on baptism. So number one is we are all dead. Number two is we can be alive. And number three is this is a gift. Um, so our first point is we are all dead. So the letter, um, th- that Bible passage that was written to us before was written by a man called Paul, who was an early church missionary. And he's writing to a church in a place called Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. So he's writing to a church here, a group of Christians, and this is what he says to them. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. He's talking to a church. He's talking to Christians. And he's saying saying something to them. He's saying, before you were Christian, you were dead. And that's the truth that comes out for us today as well. Before you are Christian, we are all dead. We were all dead. Now, some of you aren't Christian and you're sitting here, you might be thinking, well, that sounds a bit judgmental, a bit harsh. Um, and actually, you're wrong because I'm alive. I'm, I'm breathing. I'm living. I'm perfectly fine. So you can have your opinion. I'll have mine. But can I respectfully say something to you? You aren't fine. You aren't fine. Without Jesus Christ, before becoming Christian, none of us are fine. The, what, what's actually going on is we may seem alive, we may feel alive, but spiritually we are dead. And that's the case for everyone without Jesus, uh, myself included. Everyone in this church before they found Jesus, maybe you today, a state that you are in right now. And what is this spiritual death? Well, spiritual death comes because we reject God. We reject God. Even though that God is the creator of the world, even though he's the loving creator who gave us life, gave us every good thing, what do we do? We reject God. That's what the Bible calls sin. And this plays out in one of two ways. We either live our life where we, in a way which completely ignores him, 
that he doesn't exist. I just do things for myself. I just do things for me. I'm the boss. I'm the king. I'm God. Or the other side of it is that we do know God exists, but we purposely disobey him. We don't do what he says. We know what he wants, but we'd rather do what we want. We disobey. And I'm sure if you're honest with yourself, um, we're all guilty of one of those two things, aren't we? That plays out in the way that we live our life. We just follow our desires. We just do what we want. Uh, the rest of the passage talks about following the ways of the world, indulging our, our lust, just doing whatever feels good, whatever I want. It's selfish. That's sin. That's how it plays out. But it comes from a heart that is rejecting God. Like an unappreciative child, we, you know what we do? We, we spit in the face of our Father who gives us every good thing, who loves us, and we spit in his face, we dishonor him, we shame him, we tell him, get out of our life. And that's what happens. The thing is, though, when you're cut off from the source of life, when God cuts us off, because that's what, in one sense, we told him to do, and he gives us that as a punishment, a just punishment, because we've rejected him, he cuts us off. The thing is, when you're cut off from the source of life, when you're cut off from the creator, when you're cut off from the life giver, what happens? You die. You die. Spiritual death. That's what happens because of our rejection of God. I wonder if you've ever received a bouquet of flowers before. Uh, Maybe from a loved one. Maybe from a secret admirer. Maybe from a not-so-secret admirer that you don't appreciate as much. But... Flowers. Um, Men, I know you can't appreciate this as much, getting a bouquet of flowers, but I think we can all acknowledge that flowers, they're beautiful. You know, they're they're nice. You have them in your house. Uh, They um, are nice to look at. They smell nice. They give some life to your house. But I think the thing we all realize as well is that they don't last very long, do they? In a few days, in a week maybe, they start to wilt. They start turning brown. And then they're gone. And whilst they look alive, the problem is with the bouquet of flowers is that they're cut flowers. They're cut off from the source of life. They're not really alive. They're dead. In the same way, all of us, apart from God, even though we look alive, even though we feel alive, even though we're living our life in one sense, really... We are cut off from the life giver. Really, we are dead. We're living on borrowed time. Because this spiritual death, this relationship where we're cut off from God, it results in us physically dying as well. There's not many sure things in this world, friends. Not many sure things at all. But one thing that we can be certain of, 100% of people will die. 100% of people will die. Because this spiritual death, it leads to physical death. And after that, it leads to eternal death and judgment. And friends, death always wins. We can't beat death. We can't beat death. But someone has. Let me tell you about him. And we're at point two. We can be alive. Um, Verse four of this Ephesians passage says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 
See, here's the thing. Even though we tell God to get out of our life, to stay out of it, to go away, He can't do that, right? Because He loves us and He comes after us in love. That's what this passage says. And what does He do? How does He love us? He sends His only Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die so that we don't have to die. He sends His only Son to take our place, to pay the price for our rejection of God. Jesus takes that on Himself, pays for our rejection, pays for our sin, so that 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 gap between us and God, that gap can be bridged. That relationship can be reconciled so that we can come back to the life giver, so we can be reconnected to the source of life in relationship as a father to the son. Jesus, he gives life. We know this, and we know he is able to do this because when he dies on the cross, he doesn't stay dead. When he dies on the cross, what happens is that he smashes every aspect of death He smashes every power and authority that death has over this world. And he shows that by rising from the grave, something that no one else has done. And when he rises from the grave, you know what that that declares? It says this. It says, death doesn't win anymore. It says, death doesn't have the final say anymore, but I do. That's what Jesus is saying. And now he gives life to all who come to him in faith, who trust in what he's done. This is the offer. Jesus Christ gives life. New life now, but a new life that extends into eternity where we have a heavenly home waiting for us. Friends, I'm sure if you just spend a minute just thinking about our life in this world, you realize that this world is not as it should be. The amount of brokenness and conflict and strife in this world, you you must realize that this world is, this, something's not right here. That it's not going the way it should. And you're exactly right. Because God has not, sin has corrupted this world in a sense that it, it's just not as it should be. But there is perfection. There's a new creation. There's a new heavenly home waiting where things will be perfected. Where things are what they will be. What they should be where we can, first and foremost, be in, back in relationship with God, where there'll be perfect joy, where death won't be present anymore, which means no more suffering, no more pain, no more sickness, no more hurt. Isn't just perfect joy. Now, isn't that something you'd like to be a part of? That's what waits for those who have new life in Jesus, eternal life eternal life ahead in the new creation. We, this is the promise for the future. And for those who trust in Jesus, we get a little taste of it now, just a little taste of it now. We've got, we got the fullness of it waiting, but a little bit of it, we get a taste of that eternity right now. If you're a friend or family member of one of the baptism candidates there, you've probably noticed that when they trusted in Jesus that um, they started acting a little bit different, right? That things, things were a little bit different. Uh, that's because what I've described for you here, what the Bible gives to us, that's what's happened in their life. All right? They've been made alive by Jesus Christ. In that moment, do you know what happens? They, their, their old self, their spiritually dead self, their selfish self that just follows 
um, the ways of their own hearts rather than God, what happens? That dies, right? And that's what happens when we baptize in the pool and people are submerged under water. That symbolizes uh, the death of the old self. But there's another step, isn't there? Because as they come back out, you know what that's symbolizing? That's new life with Jesus, a new spiritual life, a new life that's set on obeying God and living for Him and not living for self anymore. And as we bring people back out of water, that's what that's symbolizing, a resurrection, a new life, a new beginning, a new creation. That, friends, that is the reality that baptism points to. That's what we're doing when we do baptism. That's what we're declaring. We're declaring the power of the gospel to bring people from death to life. That, friends, is what baptism is about. That's the real deal. I hope you see that. That's, this is an incredible thing. But I want to tell you one more thing before we move on. And number three, uh, point three is that this is a gift. It's a gift. Have a look at this first. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now I wonder, what's the best gift that you've ever received? Just have a think about that for a minute. What's the best gift that you've ever gotten before? I won't ask you to share that, Um, but if you think about that gift, I guess the next thing I want you to think about is, why did you get that gift? Why did you get it? Chances are that the reason you got that gift was because of something, uh, a special occasion, maybe it's your birthday, maybe it's, oh, excuse me, (laughs) maybe it's Christmas, Uh, maybe it's, um, you did something really good, you know, you got really good marks, you earned something, Um, maybe that's why you got that gift. Usually what happens when we receive a gift is that um, we get it because we deserve it, don't we? We've earned it somehow. We've, you know, we've worked hard, so we get this gift. We, it, this is what we've been working hard to achieve. But the difference between the gifts that God gives us, the difference between the gifts that we receive in this world and grace, that's what the word grace means, gift, God's gift, is that we don't deserve it at all. We don't deserve it. Because what we receive this gift, when we were rejecting God, we were telling him to get, get out of our life, when we were fighting against him, when we were hating on God, when we were doing all of these things against God, it's at that moment that he decides to give us this gift. And this gift is completely undeserved. And it's outrageous. Why on earth should we get a gift when all we deserve is punishment? Why on earth should we get that? Let me tell you a story about um, my youth when I was younger, six years old at Mansfield State Primary School. Uh, This is not my school, but it's a classroom. Um, So I remember really clearly this one day where I had uh, my year one teacher, Mrs. Bo. She was a lovely lady, but we can say that our class wasn't exactly lovely all the time. Uh, and there was a particular day that the kids were acting up. We were very, it must have been a rainy day or something. We were just running, running amok, really feral children. I remember I was sitting there. Well, I was actually sitting there. I was singing in class because everyone else was shouting and going, going on and carrying on. And uh, my teacher, Mrs. Bo, she, she did something. She, she got really upset and she said, all right, stop. Now, who was talking? Yeah, our teachers ask those questions. 
And you're like, who's going to answer that question? So I'm sitting there going, of course no one's going to answer this question. Who's going to be foolish enough to put up their hand and face the punishment? Everyone was talking anyway, but you know, no one's going to admit to it. But then someone put up their hand. And I was thinking, what are you doing? Why, why are you putting up your hand? And I was waiting for the punishment to come on this person. But do you know what happened? Uh, Mrs. Bow, my year one teacher, she said to that person, well, thank you for putting up your hand. Because you've been honest, you're going to get rewarded. And she gave that kid lollies. And I was thinking, what? <laughs> my little six-year-old brain, I couldn't comprehend what was going on there. Why would this person who admitted guilt, who clearly deserves to be punished, why do they get rewarded? It's outrageous. It doesn't make sense. They shouldn't be getting this. My friends, that's grace, isn't it? That's what we get. We deserve to be punished. We are guilty. We've done everything wrong. We haven't even done anything right at all. Yet, we get a gift. God holds out a gift that all we have to do is receive the gift of new life in Jesus Christ. We don't do anything to earn it, but he gives it to us. This is grace, friends. This is grace. And friends, today as we witness the baptism of our brothers and sisters in Christ, in one sense, um, it's a declaration of their commitment to Jesus, which is awesome, and I'm very excited about that. They're declaring uh, their faith in Jesus Christ, their trust in Jesus Christ. But um, I'm sure they wouldn't mind me saying that actually today is not about them. It's not about how good they are. It's about how good God is. It's about what God has done in them. All they're declaring today is simply this, that they've received the gift that God has given them of new life. That's what they're declaring today, friends. Friends, this gift is available to all. And maybe today you've heard something and uh, this gift is something you want. I'd love for you to come and talk to me about it after the service because this is the best thing that we can have, new life in Jesus Well, you've heard what I've had to say from God's word about baptism, but don't just take my word for it. Because you know what we're going to be doing for the rest of the service? Excuse me. We're going to be hearing the testimonies of all of our brothers and sisters who are getting baptized today, where they'll be sharing their stories about how God has worked in their life to bring them from death to new life. That's what we'll be doing. And I'm going to invite our first candidate up. Uh, Please give a warm welcome to Susu. Um, yeah, I'm just going to jump straight into my testimony. Um, so throughout my life, I've been on a mission to fit in, uh, to be accepted, to be worthy of approval. Um, and so I'd like to take this opportunity to tell you about how I found this in Jesus. As I look back, I can see how glorious and wondrous God's sovereignty is in paving the way for me to know him. For example, growing up as a foster child, I could see how God planned and used each family member that I lived with to bring me a step closer to knowing him. One of the major turning points in my life was when I first moved into my current foster family at 10 years old. They would teach my younger sister and I of who God is and why he was so important in their lives. What I didn't know at the time was that they would pray for us every night that we would know God's saving grace too. 
I praise God that I was able to grow up most of my life in a loving Christian family who invested their time and care in helping me to understand the gospel. However, as blessed as I am to have a wonderful family, I still struggled with many things throughout my Christian walk. I struggled a lot with other people's opinion of me. During high school, I always felt the desire to fit in, to be accepted, and to even appear as popular. I based my identity in how many people liked me and how social I was. This meant that either I would compromise my values and belief in Jesus, for example, engaging in gossip with my friends or putting others down, or I would puff myself up and pretend I was a good Christian girl, um, depending on who I was hanging out with. This lifestyle weighed me down a lot, constantly worrying about what others thought of me and trying to live up to that so I could feel worthy. I felt that I was letting God down during this time because I cared more about what others thought instead of God. I felt like I was stuck in a vicious cycle of guilt and hopelessness. As I entered my first year of uni, I was all the more anxious in making new friends and forming my new identity. I praised God for the Christian group at uni because here, my QT Christian friends invested in me by meeting up to read the Bible with me and taking me along to the Bible talks. They challenged me in this area of identity and helped me to understand the gospel better. Because of this, I was able to recognize how I was living life dead as an enemy to God. For example, engaging in gossip with my friends um, and how this was actually extremely offensive to God. This meant that I was not in a, in a right relationship with God and was heading towards total separation from him, which is death. This heavy realization made me appreciate the beauty and power of the gospel all the more because, of God, because God, being rich in mercy, gave us his perfect son to restore that relationship I did not deserve by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. I realized that I no longer needed to search for acceptance from others but have already been accepted by a perfect and holy God into a family that will last forever. And this, to me, is the most joyful news. However, I stand here still broken and still sinful. Even now, I still struggle with loving others enough to tell them about Jesus. I catch myself caring about what others think of me and now what God thinks of me, and I still try to work hard to prove myself to others and God. This is why I want to get baptized today. Because it is not what I can do or how I appear that can ever be enough for God to adopt me into his family, but rather everything that he is and already has done through Jesus Christ. And I want others, oh sorry, it's through Jesus Christ that I can have an eternal relationship with God. I now have a new life and a new hope now in Christ, and I want others to have the same new life and hope. I know I will continue to battle with sin and my weaknesses, but I also know the hope that lies in store for me through God's promises in his word. A verse that I would like to finish off um, with is in Philippians 1.16. It reads, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Hello, um, I'm Hayden. Um, I'll also just shoot straight into it. Uh, I'm not a good person. I feel like I've been winging my way through life. So in primary school, it was all just fun, just doing kid things, dob on kids. In high school, it was a little different. I wasn't depressed or disappointed. 
I loved high school. I just felt I had no direction where I'm supposed to be going, what I'm supposed to do. I was just really doing things that was the social standard, I guess. During uni, it was all pretty much the same. I just tried to find acceptance, try to make friends, try to not step on anyone's toes, and just was really afraid of being negatively viewed. However, even though I never really had direction in my life, I was blessed with such privilege. I have amazing parents who are really understanding. I have awesome friends to hang around with. And I have an amazing partner who is now my wife. I completed university without too much problems. I have an enjoyable job. All these things were such a privilege to me, but I never really truly appreciated. I was introduced into church by Truman and his parents. Um, I first went to church as a kid to have fun. I was also blessed with the privilege of being able to go to a Lutheran school redeemer. We had chapel, we had devotion, we did Christian studies, but these things really never made an impact when I was there. It wasn't until my first year of uni, when I transferred over to CPE Church, that I became more involved, more in contact with brothers and sisters in Christ, seeing their faith and their commitment to God, that I really understood how sin had affected my life, how it was controlling me, how I was putting materialistic things as priority. I saw others at church living for Jesus, how loving everyone was and how much they genuinely cared. This opened my eyes to privileges that I have in my life and that God is the one that blessed me with such privilege. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, having, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God is the eternal provider, and knowing this, I finally found purpose. I found direction. I found motivation in life in life through Christ to do his good work, to live a cross-centered life. In the midst of such blessings, Jesus dying on the cross so that I could be forgiven is the greatest blessing of them all. This has opened my eyes to show others the love of Christ, how others in church had shown to me. I wonder sometimes how God could love someone who spends most of his time on Ozbargain who has no knees to play basketball, who is required to drink lactose-free milk to avoid the runs, who only cared for himself, who only prayed for things to benefit his own life, but he, dis- he does at all sin. Because God doesn't accept me because I'm a good person. He accepts me because of Jesus. I understand that there will be times of high and there will be times of lows, but I know for a fact that God will take care of me, that Christ is with me every step of the way, that I am not alone and never will be. Hi, I'm Janelle. Um, I think a lot of you do know me, so I'll continue with my testimony. Um, Yeah, so... I've always struggled with acceptance and, um, like a lot of people, I guess, um, both wanting to be liked and yet still having a hard time accepting myself. Like, it got worse as I got older. Um, I, I used academic achievement. I was always known as a smart one um, to try and prove myself. Um, and since I was raised in a church going family, I didn't really do anything particularly rebellious. So I looked like a normal Christian girl. But in the inside, I knew I was struggling with sin, 
which is putting myself and other things above God. And I wasn't sure, in my heart of hearts, whether I had really been saved by Jesus. I felt the pressure of expectations from my family and friends and from those around me to continue what felt like a facade of goodness. I felt like the easy way out to continue, as I was, having a lot of head knowledge about Jesus, um, learning about the Bible as if I was studying for an exam, and trying to be good by my own effort. Often it seemed to work, although I'm sure my close friends and family will tell you it did not. Um, yeah. So in my more candid moments, when I was having deep thoughts or conversations about you know, who I was, what I meant to be a Christian, I really wasn't sure if I measured up. I, I, could, re- I could rattle off, you know, Jesus died for my sins, woo! <laughs> but I remained caught in a vicious cycle of sin and guilt and apathy and shame. I had several breaking points where it was, it was painfully obvious to myself and occasionally others that I was not okay. God used those times to humble me and remind me that I have many weaknesses despite what I like to pretend. He provided my family and wise counselors and other friends, and they really helped. Um, uh, It took a while, but I finally remembered it is okay to not be okay. And that asking for uh, for help, it's actually a sign of strength, not weakness. Um, Yeah, so the gospel... Um, which explains that no one measures up like I was so worried about. No one ever can. And that's, well, that's why we need Jesus. And that's why we'll never not need Jesus. And this, this truth was a really big source of strength and comfort, both in my times of need and when I wasn't so needy anymore, I guess, sadly. <laughs> when I finally confided in my parents and my friends about some of my more difficult struggles... To my relief and pleasant surprise, um, they didn't react with the shock and the horror that I was so afraid of. Um, Instead, they prayed for me. They reminded me that inward sins of the heart, they're just as dangerous as the outward sins, the more obvious sins. They're hurting you bit by bit, and they're eating away at your relationship with God. As we discussed the sins that we battle, God showed my friends and I that sin flourishes in secret shame and despair. But the truth of Jesus' sacrificial redemption for our sins, it heals us and offers us a better way to live. Now, I don't have one big turning to Jesus moment, um, as others may do, um, mainly because there there was no one. There were many moments and many prayers over the years as... um, my friends and I, and my, I feel like my, myself in particular, I wrestled with all the tougher, painful issues, all the things guaranteed to get like, a reaction from your friends, like all the controversial things and stuff like that. And as we prayed and talked about these things, we generally found answers in God's word. Even as much as I secretly wanted to find a loophole or some sort of thing that would be like, you know, it's okay to do that. Um... Well, I couldn't. (laughs) So, yeah, God has used all of these steps in my journey 
so far to teach me to rely on Jesus and the Bible for guidance and strength and comfort. No longer do I need to seek the approval and the acceptance of others when God, who knows all of my flaws, all of my weaknesses, he still sent his son to die for me in my rightful place as punishment. And he, when he looks at me, he doesn't see all my sins and dark desires. He sees, he sees Jesus' perfect righteousness. No longer do I need to be ashamed when, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and his, he is just. He will forgive us. I am accepted not because of what I've done or who I am, but because of what Jesus has done for me. Um, yeah, I've got a long way to go, but this is important. And I thank God every day. Hello everyone, um, it's great to see you all here to come to church and just yeah, celebrate God's glory. Um, my name's Hanshin and yeah, it's great to be in front of you. Um, not to sound cliche, but I honestly never imagined myself getting baptised and giving a testimony as a Christian. Um, I can honestly say it's been a crazy journey and I give thanks to God for everything he's done for me. Um, for as long as I can remember, I lived life according to me. You know, work hard, study hard, have fun get a decent job, get married, and possibly live happily ever after. I felt like I was the author of my own narrative. I felt like I was in control. So I never really thought about God because I simply just felt like I didn't need him. So when I became a university student and became more independent, I naturally wanted to try new things and meet new people. One day, my good mate Josh, Joshua Yap, he invited me to a hot pot evening held by the YF group, which is a youth fellowship, so a uni Bible study group held here at church. Um, it was a great night. I made new friends and reconnected with old ones. And coming to this event really sparked my curiosity as to why people call themselves Christians. Uh, so I started going to YF Bible studies more to learn more. And once I felt like I settled in, I attended the odd Sunday service. But that's if I woke up on time. Um, however, I didn't really take things seriously. After all, I didn't really need Christianity. I was only there to be curious. Um, dating someone last year, um, I started to think about Christianity more seriously. Uh, I thought it would play an important role in our relationship, so I decided to pursue Christianity in an uh, effort to make our relationship work. I attended more Bible studies and met with Willis on a weekly basis, um, but it was really more just him nagging me to go. Um, and I guess things went okay initially. Uh, however, my beliefs often came under fire. Uh, Willis and I would get into numerous disagreements over the ability of the Bible, if God exists, how did the universe begin, and other big philosophical questions that were beyond our comprehension and certainly we had no definitive answer to. Looking back, I do regret how I viewed the Bible. I was so focused on questioning its credibility that I ignored God's words and how it addresses our most fundamental problem, and that is sin. Naturally, I became overwhelmingly frustrated about Christianity. I was dedicating time, yet I didn't agree with it any more than when I just started. So I bluntly told Willis that I'm sick of it, the Bible's not for me anymore. And I thought that was it, how wrong I was. In life, sometimes things don't pan out the way you want it to. Sometimes you think you're in control, but you really aren't. 
Unfortunately for me, the relationship ended, which came as a real surprise to me because I felt like I was doing things right. So I felt devastated. For a while, I felt empty, angry, and hurt by what had happened. I spent a lot of time self-reflecting. I think a few things became clear. I realized I was definitely not in control of my life. I realized how sinful I was and how I wasn't living the way I should. But most importantly, I realized my problems aren't something to resolve on my own. I needed help. So I humbled myself and turned to God for help by praying. It's awkward at first because you feel like you're talking to yourself. But now it's like having a conversation with him. I guess my faith has regrown over the past few months, mainly because I stopped trying to um, be in control of my life but, uh, and resisting God's word, but rather letting it change me to become more like Jesus. Nowadays, I'll annoy Willis about one-on-one studies rather than him trying to find me like he always used to. And I can remember one of the YF leaders always telling me, um, he told me, I think you want a God that fits your life rather than your life fitting into God. I never imagined how right he was. It's been a difficult journey, but what encourages me to continue is a passage from Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Things became difficult, but God opened up my heart to change. I think in his words for me. And now I want to live life according to his ways. To not hold on to hatred and anger, but to show forgiveness, love, and compassion. So now, I live life not dictated by my past sins and wrongdoings, but be renewed in spirit and living righteously under God's grace. My journey as a Christian has just begun, but I'm truly blessed to be part of this community. And I'm grateful to those who have helped along the way, because I know I certainly wouldn't have achieved this on my own. And before I finish... I just want to leave an encouraging message to my fellow Christian brothers and sisters. Don't be disheartened when non-Christian families or friends reject God. Trust in his words, for God works in unexpected ways to change the hearts of others to one day love him. Thank you. Good morning, church. met before, my name is Daphne, and I've been coming to CPE since 2010. Um, A little bit about me, I love Jesus, potatoes, and looking at people's teeth all day. (laughs) By God's grace, I was raised in a Christian home where I grew up going to church and and Sunday school and learned Bible stories through watching the OG Veggie Tales. While most people regard this as a cliche testimony, I'm actually so grateful to God that right from the start, he was already softening and sowing seeds in my heart, and I was exposed to the gospel at such a young age. However, growing up going to church led me to think that I was somehow a Christian by default or through my parents as if God had grandchildren. I believe that there was a God out there who protected me, but I don't think I really understood the gospel yet. Throughout primary and high school, I struggled to find my identity in Christ, but instead sought validation in good grades and achievements, making my parents proud of me and being popped by others. I always sought to be worthy in everyone else's eyes by being a good, obedient Christian girl, but I hadn't realized I could could never be good enough, and I was faking it. It was only later did I realize that in Christ, I am worthy and loved, no matter how bad I am. At the time, I still thought I was a Christian, and I was challenged when one day, one of my friends was surprised to know that I called myself a Christian. That made me realize I probably wasn't living life any differently to my non-Christian friends, and that got me thinking about my faith a bit more. 
I would say the turning point in my faith was at a high school ministry camp in 2011 when I was 14 years old. I went on that camp with a personal agenda of hopefully becoming closer with the guy that I liked, but in the end, I encountered Jesus and I away with the most important relationship I will ever have. The camp theme was Treasures of the Heart, which confronted me to think seriously about this faith that I thought I had. I had all this head knowledge about God and the Bible, but did it really mean anything if my life wasn't any different? That day, I was cut to the heart and convicted about my sin, and the eyes of my heart were enlightened that Jesus didn't just die for the sins of the world, but he died for my personal sin. I am a broken, unclean sinner, and I'm not worthy of God's love and grace. Yet God, in his almighty and unconditional love, sent his son, one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die and take the punishment that was rightfully mine and exchanged it with clothes of righteousness and an everlasting relationship. Isaiah 61.10 says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Although on the outside I may look like a good Christian girl, God sees the depths of my heart and knows my every ugly thought that I wouldn't dare tell anyone, but loves me the same. After repenting and asking Jesus to become my Lord and Saviour, I was in tears and an overwhelming wave of peace um, came upon me and I felt the Holy Spirit descending upon me, a seal and guarantee of what is to come. I felt so free, free from the constant desire for satisfaction in the things of the world, like success, popularity or the praise and approval of others, but instead free to spend the rest of my life with God. Since becoming a follower of Jesus, I still face the everyday struggles of stress at university, complicated relationships, and the constant battle of resisting worldly temptation and walking the narrow path of a holy life. But God is so faithful in strengthening me in all circumstances and carrying me through every valley. He has blessed me with a loving family, encouraging brothers and sisters in Christ to walk beside, and ultimately, his spirit and word to guide me in the path everlasting. I'm still struggling, but I know that my identity in Christ is sure. Not because of how much I try to be a good person or do right things or even serve at church, but because of the sacrifice that Jesus has already made on the cross for me. God doesn't need us to wait until we have our life together or we think we're good or strong or smart enough, because we never will be, but he welcomes us into his kingdom and family just as we are. I don't know where my life would be without God, and if you don't know Jesus today, I encourage you to think about it or talk to someone because this is life and death. May Jesus be the treasure of all of our hearts. Thanks for listening.